Well, good morning. Uh, good morning, everybody, and Happy New Year. Um, first Sunday school of 2023, which is pretty cool. Um, today, we're going to shift gears. Uh, uh, Stuart has been teaching, you know, the book of Luke for, you know, quite a while now. He's going to take a break from that for the month of January. And so we are going to kind of shift gears a little bit. We're going to do a little bit, eh, technically it's theology, but it's sort of the, the doctrines of the Bible. And don't, don't worry, it's not going to be totally dry, and it's not going to be too academic. Um, it's going to be the sort of thing that I think will be good practical knowledge. I think, I, I think you'll be interested, and um, I, I know that it's, it, um, it's edifying to know this sort of thing, right? So, um, so anyway, we're going to do that for about four weeks. I've got probably the next, well, I guess the first three classes pretty much figured out. And then the fourth one will basically base, uh, I'll base the subject matter on uh, whatever it is, what kind of questions you have, interests you have, things like that, okay? And so we'll talk a little bit kind of at the end of the thing, kind of how we're going to go, how we're going to go forward. At the end of today, how we're going to go forward in the next, uh, the next three weeks. So let's pray and then we will get started. Father, once again, we thank you for this morning. Um, Thank you for this, this time to come together and to um, not so much study your word, but study about your word and understand kind of big picture um, what it is that you have provided for us. Um, Father, we ask that um, you be with us as we, as, we, uh, as we go through this and we discuss um, these different aspects um, of your word, and we ask that only truth uh, will pre- uh, prevail and be remembered um, as folks go forward. Um, um, throughout their day and living their lives. Uh, Father, we love you and we trust you. Just help us to glorify you in everything that we do. For all these things in Jesus' name, amen. All right, doctrines of Scripture. Um, so these four words up here are what are referred to as the attributes of Scripture. Now, don't worry, there's not going to be any kind of pop quiz or anything like that. You don't have to memorize anything. But we're, we're putting labels on things just so we kind of know what we're talking about. But really, the most important thing to, to come away, um, to take away from this is the, uh, the, the concepts, the ideas. Okay? So we're into ideas more than we are labels and terminology and that sort of thing. Okay? So these are the four attributes of Scripture. We have clarity. Um, now, if there are any, any folks that have studied this before, what, what's normally the word there instead of clarity? Do you might know? The, the technical term is perspicuity. I hate that word. It is probably um, a, the, the word that I hate most in the English language. Why? Because there is there anything less perspicuous than the word perspicuity? Why can't we just say clarity and be clear about it? Does that make sense? So I refuse to say perspicuity. I'm going to say clarity. Okay. So if you read if you read some um, heady theological uh, systematic theology or something, that's that's the word that they'll use. All right. And then we have authority, necessity, and sufficiency. And the lion's share of the class today is going to be going through each of the four of these. So I know I haven't defined them, uh, but we're going to define them. Go through a couple of slides of talking about what they are, what they aren't. And then we're going to, we'll have a discussion as we go through, through each one of them. Cool? All right. 
So let's talk about clarity first, not perspicuity. All right. The Bible is clear in its essential teachings and is able to reveal to humanity that which is comprehensible to us about God, his nature, his character, and his dealings with humanity. The Bible is clear in all that is necessary for a person to know regarding his sinful state, his need for salvation, and the means of attaining that salvation through faith in Christ. Okay? So really all this is saying is the things that you need to know about God, the things that you need to know in order to be saved, those things are clear in Scripture. Okay? So one of the reasons, so in terms of supporting this from Scripture itself, the biggest argument that I'll make for the clarity of Scripture is the fact that the Bible is expected to be studied by the individual. So we're going to look at four passages here real quick. The first one is Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 6. We refer to this as the Shema. And um, it says, And these words that I command you today uh, shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently uh, to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. And so not only is Jeremy... Um, and you know, this is Deuteronomy, so we're talking Israel, but I think it applies to uh, the Christian church as well. Uh, not only is Jeremy charged with knowing these words and keeping them on his heart, he's also charged with teaching them to his children. And if you're going to teach them to your children, logic tells you that they're going to be pretty clear, right? Uh, I won't quote it, but Psalm 1 says that those who take delight in God's word uh, and meditate, med- meditate upon it, are blessed. Blessed is the, the man who you know, runs not with the wicked, uh, but meditates on um, the word of God uh, day and night. Or meditates on the law, I think it says. Uh, Romans 15 says, for, whoso- <laughs> for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And so what it's saying is, is there, it's a benefit to the individual in order to, to read Scripture. And then finally, just a question. When you look, if you look at the introductions to each of the letters, especially the ones that Paul wrote, but also um, you know, John and Peter, who were the, the New Testament letters written to? Were they written to the elders? Were they written to you know, the leaders of the church? You know, the, the scholars or anything like that, or are they written to the congregations? And by and large, they're written to the congregations. So they want people to read these things. And if, if what they were writing was not clear, then they would not, or understandable, I should say, then they would not expect the congregation to understand what it is that they were reading. Okay? All right. Pop quiz. All right. Does this mean that there are not things in the Bible that are difficult to understand? So, are there things in the Bible that are not or that are difficult to understand? Like what? This is where you guys get to talk. Okay, Trinity. How about um, how about just passages? Right. Now we'll step down from theology for a minute, but even just pa- are there passages in the Bible that are difficult to understand? Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. 
So he said re- revelation. So basically, there's a you know prophecy. You know, a lot of predictive prophecy uh, can be difficult to understand. Anything else? We'll get to some some more some examples here here in just a minute. Um, so, because of the clarity, because simply because Scripture is clear, does it mean that we don't need teachers or scholars? No. If it's clear, why do you need a teacher or a scholar? Okay. Good. Absolutely, absolutely. So you can read something. You can read like some of the historical narratives. You can read prophecies or whatever. And if nothing else, a lot of times what a teacher can do is go in and actually, like one of the things I do, you know, for Sunday schools, if I'm if I'm um, teaching either you know, one of the gospels or a historical book or whatever, I'll go back and I'll I'll study the culture. Of, of Israel, of the ancient cultures and stuff like that, so that understand what was happening when it was, when it was written. Okay. And then in that, in that way, we're able to better interpret what it is, um, that, that it's saying, what, what God's word says. And that's a lot of, a lot of times that's what the commentators do. That's what they bring to the table is they go back and they look at, um, the language, the culture, um, all these different things to, to understand what was happening when that stuff was written. Right, because you got to think about it. we are two thousand years and a half a world away from where this stuff originated. You know, in a lot of ways, it's like an alien world. Okay, so um, I think yeah. Here we go. Here's the question I was just pondering: Is the Bible as clear to the 21st century American as it was to the first century Jew? Have you ever thought about that? You think that it's as easy for you to understand what Paul wrote in the first century as it was for a Jew to understand what Paul wrote? Yeah. Okay. There are there are things that are um, easy to understand, uh, clear to understand, salvation in Christ, right? But when you as you get away from that core, that center, right, to some of the um, the other the other teachings, then it can be a, a little more complicated. And like I said, we're I'm sorry, go ahead. Awesome. Yeah. Right. Right. And yeah, and that's a great point. That's a great example. And we also, like one of the things that that I've mentioned, um, I think we were talking about it on uh, Friday night in the Colossians study. It says something about... uh, Jesus has delivered us from the domain of darkness. Now just think about that word darkness for a minute. Do you think that you understand darkness in the same way with the same depth that the first century Jew did? No. I mean, we both know what darkness is. But for the first century Jew, that was a terrifying thing. Because what happens in the dark? You have wild animals, you have thieves, you have murderers. Bad things happen in the dark, okay? And so this metaphor that Paul is using of, of bringing us out of the darkness and into the light meant a whole lot to them in the first century, a lot more than it does to us today where we have flashlights, we have urban lights, we have traffic lights. 
You know, you drive down the freeway out in the middle of nowhere and there's still a row of lights showing you where you're going. You know? So they under, my point is, is they understood things in a slightly deeper way than, than we do. Okay? And so sometimes uh, the word is clear to them and we have to do more study in order to understand what it is. Where with them, they just, they just got it. Does that make sense? Okay. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I'm not saying that. As a matter of fact, I'll specifically address that in, in a, a few minutes. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, so why would there be some things in the Bible that are not clear to us? We've already talked about culture, cultural things, and um, and we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit here here in a, in a few. Um, okay. Somebody want to turn to Proverbs twenty two twenty eight. Have a volunteer? See who's fastest. You got it? All right. You want to read Proverbs 22, 28? Did you guys hear that? I think maybe I need to just bring them up myself. Um, Do not move the ancient landmark that your fathers have set. Okay. Now, if you studied this... This verse, don't answer the question. Um, but if you haven't studied it, can somebody tell me what that means? If you move the ancient landmark that your fathers have set, what sin would you be guilty of? Uh huh. Yes. Yeah. That's exactly right. That's exactly correct. Absolutely. So what she just said, if you didn't, in case you didn't hear, is the landmark was basically a um, marker, a boundary marker for land, and if you moved it, you were basically stealing land from your neighbor. So if you are, um, if you if you violate that proverb, then uh, you're guilty of theft of land. Okay. Now, was that intuitive? Would you have gotten that without the help of a commentary or a Tula? You know, no. So, so that's one of the things where, when, when we're just when we're reading the Bible from an information perspective, sometimes we have to go back and we have to rely on other sources, either teachers or commentaries or that sort of thing that are familiar with the culture. Does that make sense? But if you don't understand that proverb, this is important. If you don't understand that proverb, does it mean that you're not saved? No. You can still have faith in Christ without understanding Proverbs 22, 28. Okay, so I want to make that distinction there. Does it make sense? Am I losing anybody? Is everybody cool with all this? Okay. All right. What was the next one? Um, Isaiah 55. Um, Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. Says his uh, God's ways are are not like our ways. God's ways are higher than than our ways. Okay, so when 
the context of that verse is talking about his, his morality, his goodness, that sort of thing. But what it also means is that God is capable of a lot deeper knowledge and understanding than we can. We can never, we can never um, encapsulate the mind of God, right? We can never truly understand the, you know, the, the mind of God. Um, his ways are much deeper than our ways. And so there are going to be things that we're just, we're just not going to fully understand. You know, when you look at the doctrine of the Trinity, look in the different, uh, the different aspects of the doctrine of the Trinity, when you put all those things together, it's like you got the facts, but oh my goodness, it is impossible to really reconcile in your mind because he is, he is not like us. Second Peter three fifteen and sixteen. Um, I'll just kind of summarize it. It's basically Peter talking about Paul's writings and saying there's there's some things in there that's difficult to understand, you know. And so he just kind of comes out and sa- says it. But uh, Peter, um, I'm sorry, Paul. You know, he talks a lot about mysteries and things of that nature. He's revealing things that had never been revealed before, and so. Um, so Paul uh, will write some things that, that again, are, are difficult to understand. So this, I think, gets to Sam's point. Does this mean that non-believers can understand Scripture as well as... I'm sorry, let me rephrase it. The clarity of Scripture, does it mean that non-believers can understand Scripture as well as believers? No. There are certain facts that they'll be able to understand, but those are not necessarily spiritual truths. Okay, So, for example, a non-believer can believe just as well as a believer that Jesus was a historical person. But without um, the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, that person cannot trust in Christ. There's things that, there's teachings of Paul and Peter and Jesus that... um, that that non-believer just cannot understand. And so if we look at 1 Corinthians 2, verses 11 through 14, it says, For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. A non-believer is going to look at Genesis 1, it's going to look at the resurrection, it's going to look at the incarnation, and think they're folly because they can't truly understand them without the Spirit, okay? All right. So who denies clarity of Scripture? Who's the first person ever to deny the clarity of Scripture? You guys are so good. Yeah, Satan. What did he do? Did God really say? Oh, jumped ahead. Who else? The Roman Church, yes. <laughs> All right, the Roman.
Roman church. It's actually doctrine, dogma, right? In the Roman church, that's um, a person cannot understand Scripture. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, a thousand years ago, they were like, yeah, don't let the common people, the normal people read, you know, give, don't give them access to the Bible. Don't, and they were executing people for translating it out of Latin into the common languages because they're like, yeah, people can't, you know, people can't understand this stuff. We need to, you know, keep this knowledge within the clergy and then we can, um, uh, you know, let other people know what it says. We can communicate it to them. Oh, I did it again. Darn it. <laughs> All right. What's the next one? Postmodern. <laughs> Postmoderns. Okay, so postmodernism, man, it, it's a hodgepodge of different thoughts and beliefs and stuff like that. So uh, the reason I put postmoderns up there is because one of the things that uh, postmoderns will, will teach is just this idea that you um, that what you write cannot really be understood by the person reading it because they're a different person to you. They have different experiences, things like that. And so what they do is they say meaning is not what the, with, with what the author wrote. It's with what the reader, the way the reader interprets it. And that's why we have so many people out there right now that are reading the Bible and they're, they're doing their own interpretations. And then they, what they will say is the historic interpretation that's been around for 2,000 years um, doesn't matter to them because they have their own interpretation. So they, they, you know, scripture cannot be clear um, in that it has a coherent message for for everyone. Okay. Anything? See, I'm not clicking yet. Anybody else? Actually, honestly, I don't remember. Let's see what we got. (gasps) Mystics. Okay. Um, Mystics actually, it's not so much that scripture is not clear. Um, as it is, you, you don't really need scripture because a mystic is somebody that um, has the, you know, they believe they have this, you know, direct line to God and that it's more um, feeling based than it is. <clears throat> um, religion is more feeling based um, than it is like factual or information based. Okay. Like faith takes on a completely different aspect um, with these folks. And so, in a sense, it doesn't really matter if Scripture is clear or not. All right. Are we good on perspicuity? Yeah? All right. Cool. Uh, Authority. All of the words of Scripture are God's words in such a way that to disbelieve or disobey any word of Scripture is to disobey or disbelieve God. The Bible is to be received, underlined received, as the authoritative word of God, that is, it, it does not receive its authority from the church, from tradition, or any other human source. Now, if you're going to amen anything, that would be the one to amen right there, all right? So we receive, God, God, there was a bumper sticker that R.C. Sproul used to talk about, and he said, um, this bumper sticker said, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. What's wrong with that? I believe it doesn't matter. Yeah, that middle one there, that, that second line, that's irrelevant. It's got too many lines. Pull that one out. God said it, that settles it. Right? 
Um, so the authority of Scripture is God said it, that, that settles it. You know, Scripture alone is the um, final authority of faith and life. And the Bible is not man talking about God. It is God talking to man. Okay? So, are some parts of the Bible more authoritative than others? <laughs> okay, okay, just for Sam, I'll say, are the red letters more authoritative? <laughs> All right. We laugh about this, but in the last month, I've been talking to some folks, and one of them actually made the comment, yeah, but this commandment is, is in red letters. This commandment came from Jesus, not Paul. So therefore, it is more authoritative. Okay? What do you think about that statement? What's that? It all came from God? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Excellent. You see, Jesus said those... Go Go ahead, David. Oh, there, there you go. Oh, yeah. Sorry, sorry. I'll start. I'll do a better job of repeating. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, um, so Jesus speaking, Matthew recording what Jesus said. Say, you know, for example, Matthew or John or whoever re- recording what what Matthew said, and by the Holy Spirit. Get, you know, uh, writing that scripture down or writing that down in scripture. Okay. That's one scenario. The other scenario is we have Paul who, um, being led by the Holy Spirit, you know, just like Matthew was, Paul being led by the Holy Spirit is writing down scripture as well. They're both coming from the Holy Spirit. The original words might have come from Jesus in the, in the, um, scenario with the red letters. But they're both being superintended by the Holy Spirit. So all Scripture, it, there is no Scripture that is more authoritative than any other. Old Testament, New Testament, whatever. It's all, one. I'd say 100%, but it's all completely authoritative. Yes, ma'am. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, actually, that was just on the fly. Do you have a specific question? Right. Right. Yeah, I um I actually I there's a guy that I was doing a Bible study with at work that said they don't even mess with studying the Old Testament in their church because why would we do that? Because we have the New Testament. And I'm like, you can't understand the New Testament without the Old Testament. You know, it puts in a completely different 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 context. But it's all authoritative uh, God's word. I think there's a progressive revelation. Well, clearly there's a progressive revelation, but um, it's all, all authoritative. Yes, ma'am? What would you say to somebody who um, wants to kind of get rid of Scripture and push their whole, you know, how should we be reading Scripture? Yeah. And then they pull out a Pauline text where he says, you know, this is from God. Right. This next part, kind of sounds like you're saying this next part's going to change. Right. Yeah. And so, and, and that... 
forget exactly where that is, but what he said is, uh, this commandment is from the Lord, this other commandment is not from the Lord, but from me. And, and what he's saying there, what he's actually saying there, is that the Lord taught me over that 14 years, he taught me these things, um, uh, but, oh, I'm sorry, when he, let me rephrase that, when he was on um, doing his earthly ministry over those three years, Jesus said these things, right? So that came from the Lord. And then when, um, you know, over the 14 years where he was basically learning from Christ, the Holy Spirit, that's where those commandments came from, right? So Paul's uh, statement there would be just authoritative as, as any other thing that he was saying. But going back to folks challenging, you know, the authority of Scripture, you know, it, it's like, Talking to somebody who believes that the only way that you can arrive at knowledge is through science. And you begin to say, okay, you need to defend your, um, your faith basically in, say, rationality or logic. You know, why, should, why can you trust rationality or why can you trust logic? And the problem is they can't they can't um, defend that without using rationality and logic, right? And so it's a similar sort of thing with the authority of, of Scripture. You have, you, all worldviews boil down to something circular where you have to have a starting point. And I'll talk, you know, I'll take, you know, God's authoritative word over some, you know, man-made stuff any day of the week. Does that answer your question? Kind of? Oh, Okay. You can chat with me later if you if you'd like. Cool. Uh, so and, and and I move this from another area. So um, so is tradition not important? Um, teachings coming down through the last two thousand years uh, concerning scripture. What's that? It's still important. It's just not exactly right. And again, that's where we don't have this um, with Scripture alone. Scripture alone is not saying that that the last 2,000 years of the saints um, studying God's Word has um, is, is worthless. It's saying that, it, and it's not even saying that there's not some level of authority. It's just saying that that tradition is not authoritative at the same level as, as Scripture. Scripture alone is the, the prime authority. Yes, ma'am. Um, okay, so, yeah, so great question. So there was um, uh, oral, there, there was oral rabbinic, uh, the, the teaching of the rabbis written down um, oral tradition it was written down in something called the Mishnah okay and the Mishnah you can think of as some of it had to do with scripture but there was a lot of other things that they added to it okay and so there might have been some wisdom in some of those other things but the problem is that still yeah Yeah, when, when when they started adding to scripture, that's where you're, you're, and they can't support it either from scripture itself or from the good and necessary consequences of scripture. That's where you begin to run into a problem. Now, what I'll say a good analogy for the Mishnah in more modern day, last 
2,000 years or whatever, it's going to be the catechism of the Catholic Church. Because that sucker is about that thick. It's about three inches or so, right? And you go through that thing, and it gets into social doctrine, all kinds of authoritative stuff that you cannot trace back to, to Scripture, right? Um, and so that would be kind of like the, the Old Testament Mishnah, or not Old Testament, but the Jewish teaching prior to Christ with the Mishnah and stuff. What authority did Jesus appeal to? And forget about the Pharisees. When Jesus was interacting with the Pharisees or he was interacting with the disciples, what authority did he, did he appeal to? What's that? Or was Satan? Or was Satan? Oh, or, yeah, 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 yeah. And that's actually probably the best example, yeah. Matthew 4. So who did, what did he appeal to? People of the Scripture. Yeah. Straight Scripture. And then... But when he was talking to his disciples, who did he, what did he appeal to? He actually appealed to himself. He said, you've heard that it was said, but I tell you. Right? So he's claiming authority, the authority of God. None of us can do that. So who denies the authority of Scripture? See, I'm not giving you a sneak peek. So. You ready? Satan, there you go. I felt like the church lady is now Satan. <laughs> oh, oh. So authority of Scripture. Uh, Satan, you know, in, in the garden. Um, there is a, uh, there's an element to what he said. When he said, um, did God really say? There's an element there of kind of, can you believe he said? In other words, can you believe the audacity of your creator, whom you are completely dependent on in every, every way, shape, and form, telling you what to do? You know? And uh, so there's an element there where he's challenging God's authority. You know? He's challenging what God had said um, at that point, the authority of God. Also, the Roman church, by taking human tradition and putting it um, or church tradition and putting it on the same level as, as scripture, um, then that's also um, denies the authority of scripture because it does hold a unique place. Anybody else? Okay, I don't think that's the next one. Um, but yeah, I, I think you're right. Go ahead. Oh, yeah, let's see. Yeah, okay. How about liberal theologians? Okay, now... If we wind back the clock, um, liberal theologians were a phenomenon that began to occur in um, the late 19th century, so the, say, mid-1800s. And what they started doing was um, looking at Scripture and denying its inerrancy. And so they had to... um, and there's there's lots of different categories here, but one of the things that they would do is they would weigh Scripture against human wisdom, essentially. And so they began to challenge uh, the uh, basically the authority of Scripture. That, it, that it's in the, when you challenge its inerrancy, you by definition challenge its authority as well. I'm trying to remember, was there? Yeah, I think we're good there. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. Any atheists? Yeah. 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 Well, I, I just, I kind of, I group atheists in or materialists in where, yeah, clearly they're going to, they're going to deny all these things. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a good point. Yes, ma'am. Or, yes, sir. Yeah, that's when high, higher criticism is beginning to look at Scripture and kind of get under the covers of Scripture. And um, that's where it's a, a deeper, you know, quote-unquote deeper analysis. And what they do is they, they strip away... Um, you know, the inspiration and, and, and all of that. And it's it's a pr- pretty messy deal. That I mean, we can talk about that, you know, week four if you want to. Yeah. All right. Necessity, the necessity of Scripture. I am way behind. Well, wait a minute. We're way behind. You guys have been talking too much. I'm kidding. Um, maybe you need to speed up a little bit. But keep talking because even if we just have to move the three to take up four weeks, that's, that's totally fine by me. Necessity. God has revealed his own power, wisdom, kindness, and divine nature through the things that have been made uh, in the, the created world. But nature does not, does not and cannot reveal the person and work of Christ. And so while it glorifies God, it condemns mankind, it renders us without excuse. So if you look in Romans uh, 1, verses 18 and following, I think it goes through probably 22 or 23. And actually, you can just keep going after that. Um, it talks about how the things that God has created have have clearly um, have revealed uh, His divine nature, His eternal power, that sort of thing. But in our ungodliness and unrighteousness, we deny that. Okay, and so um, so what um, the natural world uh, reveals the glory of God, but in so doing, it condemns us because you cannot be saved through the knowledge that you have in the, uh, in the natural world. So therefore, God has revealed in Scripture um, that which cannot be known from nature. It is the special revelation that is necessary for mankind's salvation. Okay. So do you know people who claim to know God without Scripture? And what does that look like? No? Yes, ma'am. Right. 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 I'll give you a great example of what, what y'all are talking about. Um, I read an article one time about a lady. I can't remember where she was. I know she was in the state somewhere. But um, <laughs> she opened her window one day, and there was a water vapor had formed on her, on her window, windowsill or window. And it was the face of Christ. And she was like, this is the face of Christ. She called a news crew. A news crew came out and were like, take pictures of this thing. 
And I'll never forget that what that vapor told her when she was asked what that vapor meant to her, um, kind of what the message was. She said, this is Jesus telling me, look, I know you're not a Christian, but that's okay. I love you anyway. Right? So let's throw away 2,000 plus years that he has actually revealed his word without, I mean, with, you know, that actually definitively, objectively means something to go for water vapor forming on your, on your window. And you're going to, that's going to outweigh the Bible. Right. And that's the sort of thing that you, that's the sort of thing you run into. Everybody wants Jesus, but they don't want the Jesus of the Bible. And so that, that fact tells you that there's something going on here, right? There's something different about Christ. I know you're looking at me going, well, duh, right? But there is clearly something different about Christ. Every religion in the world has to deal with Christ. The Hindus deal with him. The Muslims deal with him. Everybody deals with Christ. And everybody wants him in some way. And only the the really out there outlandish ones will deny um, that what he taught was good. Now, 90% of the time, they leave out half of what he taught or three-quarters of what he taught. Yes, sir? I got it that if somebody rationalizes that they believe in God, that they don't have to go to church. Yeah. Absolutely. I, what, what's, uh, yeah, how do you, so how do you say that? I'm spiritual, not religious, right? right? Yes, ma'am. Did, okay, okay. Uh, okay, Monica, who denies the, the necessity of Scripture? Yeah, pro- probably. <laughs> See, who else we got? Well, philosophers, right? Philosophers be, believe that you acquire knowledge through human reason and through sensory perception. The necessity of Scripture? Well, yeah. Well, actually, yeah. So let, let's take a step back to, to Satan. So he was telling um, Adam and Eve, or Eve, that, he, that they could know good and evil without Scripture. So I, I kind of, I don't think you can know squat without Scripture. So I think he was telling them that they can go off and they can learn it on their own or determine it for themselves. Uh, philosophers, yeah, so pericolo- um, sen- sensory perception and um, logic. Yes, sir? What we're doing here is we're, let's, exp- let's, let's call it the word of God, right? And so he gave them direct revelation. But yeah, that's a, that is a good point. That was a good point. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Yep. Um, Satan and what, Matthew 4. Yep. Uh, then you have the New Age. Basically, it's um, mystics because the New Age, are, are, they are mystics. You know, um, they have this direct revelation sort of thing. Yes, sir. Yeah, I I I I lump them in as philosophers. What's funny is, I remember 
having this discussion, a guy that had a um, PhD in chemical engineering, and we're talking about what science is, and you know what? He, he couldn't even really articulate what it was. And I remember I was so blown away by that because when I said it's a philosophy, and he's like, what? And I said, yeah, it's an epistemology. Epistemology is a study of, of, of acquiring knowledge or it's a study of knowledge. And science is an epistemology. It's a way of, of acquiring knowledge. He acted like he'd never heard that before. And I could not believe, you know, and it wasn't an interesting conversation. So, all right. Sufficiency. Uh, boom. Uh, in Scripture, God has provided all the words that we need in order to know God both truly and personally as well as everything we need to know to live an abundant and godly life. Now, notice I'm saying all the, um, all the words that we need, right? We're talking information. And going back to Sam's point kind of, kind of early on, not just, not everybody can digest that information because it's not us that's digesting the information, it's the Holy Spirit that's digesting it for us and helping us to, to understand this. This does not mean that we should only believe statements that are direct quotes from the Bible. There are also good and necessary consequences of the Bible. In other words, sufficiency of Scripture is not the same thing as no creed but the Bible. Now, what do I mean by that? You will not find a... Let's take the deity of Christ, for example. You will not find um, a sentence in the Bible that says, Jesus is Yahweh. Or Jesus is God. Now, the only way to deny that truth in all of the um, implicit statements that are are throughout the New Testament and and actually going back to the Old Testament, the only way you can deny that is just to be in flat-out rebellion. Okay? The statement is not there. The explicit statement. But the message is pretty clear as clear as it comes, that Jesus is God, okay? And so, so if we're looking for a statement that says Jesus is God, we're not going to find it. But there are many good and necessary consequences of Scripture that point to the, the divinity of Christ, the deity of Christ. Does it make sense? Okay. Now, did anybody hear me say that Jesus is not God? Okay. Please don't, because <laughs> if there's one thing that's clear in the Bible, that's it. Um, for sufficiency, probably the, the big um, verse is uh, 2 Timothy three fifteen through 18. Continue on what you have learned and, and have firmly believed, knowing from what you learned it and how, you, how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ, Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That's the sufficiency. So every good work, um, the information that we need, basically, is in, the, is in the Bible. So what are some things that we can know about God outside of Scripture? He's a creator. 
He's orderly. I think when David is looking up at the stars and he's saying, what is man that you're mindful of him? I think that's something that comes out of general revelation because by looking at creation, we know that there's a creator. We know he's powerful. We know he's wise. There's lots of things that we know. And and then when you think about when you're blown away by the fact that this creator would have anything to do with me, that he would take the time to, to, to make you as an individual person, bless you. I think it, it, it should blow us away that he would have anything to do with us. And I think when David is saying that, what is man that you're mindful of him, I think it's the general revelation of the insignificance that, of us compared to, to him. But by knowing him, it makes us significant. What are some things that we can know about ourselves outside of Scripture? So, if the f- go ahead. Simple. Simple. Okay. Um, can we go to an area of Scripture that um, can verify that for us? So, if if the first bullet point is Romans one, the second bullet point is what? Romans two. God's law is written on the heart. Okay, it's called your conscience, and so every, well, virtually every human being in the world um, has some form of conscience, has has a conscience that will tell them that certain things are wrong: stealing, lying, murder, mistreating people. When our conscience weighs on us, something is wrong, and that's what that is. Is that's um, it's almost like a hardwiring as uh, being in the image of God. Um, when we violate that law, it, um, it, it hits our conscience. Think of a common but modern task. How would Scripture guide you in making those decisions? So we'll, we'll make this kind of quick. I'll throw one out there. Uh, buying a new vehicle. Okay? And so we're talking about sufficiency of Scripture. So let me, let me tie this in real quick. By, oh, sufficiency of Scripture how can Scripture help you in buying a new vehicle? Does it tell you what color, what model, what make, model, and all that to buy? Does it tell you whether or not you should buy uh, domestic or internet, you know, whatever? What's that? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Somebody say something about stewardship? There, there you go. Right. So... So look at stewardship in the Bible, and, and we've been given resources. We're to take care of those resources. And so, you know, if you're making $75,000, $100,000 a year, and you go out and buy a, a what's a Ferrari you're on these days, half a million dollars or something, you're probably not being a good steward. Okay? And you're also, you have to ask the question, why do you want this particular thing? Is it to show off? You know, is it to make people think higher of you? Things, things of that nature. That's why anybody that doesn't drive a, a Toyota Tacoma is, um, you know, anyway, not a spiritual. So what are some areas where Christians fail to observe the sufficiency of Scripture? And this is a big question. I'm going to probably take the rest of our time in answering it. Can you think of any? Does any come to mind? Yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. Anytime we sin, you know. 
Okay, so sufficiency of scripture. Um, one of the things, um, the first one I'll bring up is psychology. Okay, now hear me. I'm not talking about drugs. Okay, I'm not talking about therapeutic drugs or, or anything like that. That's out of this conversation. What I'm talking about is when we go to a secular psychologist, we have to understand that that psychologist has a particular worldview. Part of that worldview is that the human being is not made um, in both spirit and body. The psychologist believes, by definition, by their training, by their worldview, that there is only the material aspect to the human being. That the mind, that consciousness, all of that is the byproduct of a very complex machine we have up between our ears called a brain. Okay, that the body came first, the person came later. Okay? And so when they're analyzing um, any problem that we may have, okay, they are not um, taking into account the spiritual aspect of the human being. They're not taking into um, account the um, existence of God in any way. Okay? And I think it was A.W. Tozer said, we are, um, mankind is primarily a theological creature. And so all of our major problems, any significant problem that we may have is is, um, primarily in relation to God. Okay, everything else is like a, a byproduct of that, okay? So... A, you know, um, seeking answers to these problems outside of, of Scripture, okay, is uh, honestly, it's denying the sufficiency of Scripture, okay? Uh, if that ruffles any feathers, please talk, please talk to me a little bit later. We can, we can chat about it. Um, another thing that's happening right now is we have this whole thing that's occurring in the world. We, we can, you know, we'll just call it uh, critical theory whether it's uh, queer theory, um, critical race theory, whatever the case may be. And there's a crisis going on in churches right now and trying to figure out how to deal with this. Okay, so let me tell you a quick story. Back in, and this is why church history is important. If we go back, again, 100 years, 150 years, um, in America, the liberal um, liberalism was running rampant in churches, when I say liberalism, I don't mean, I don't mean um, political liberalism. I mean what we were talking about a little bit earlier: the denial of the inerrancy of Scripture and the authority of Scripture. Liberal uh, liberalism was running rampant in churches and seminaries, and so um, it was liberal. Liberalism was actually taking over, and so what happened was there was this. Um, response to liberalism, it was known as the fundamentalists, okay? Now, fundamentalist has kind of a, um, has bad connotations these days, but back then, it was just the folks that were, like, loyal to the Bible, and they had some real, really good stuff to say. I, I like the fundamentalists of a, a hundred years ago. So, something I left out was the liberals were denying the spiritual aspects the supernatural aspects of the Bible. 
And so what they did was they focused on, when it came to the gospel, they didn't focus on sin and redemption. They focused on the social aspects. And so helping the poor, feeding the poor, you know, uh, getting medicines to, you know, third world countries and, you know, kind of things of that nature. Okay. And so when the fundamentalists began to respond to these, these liberal theologians, they and their descendants went a little bit too far. They actually, they went way too far. And they began to deny the social aspects of the gospel. And so a hundred years later, we're in a situation where, you know, going into the 21st century, that a lot, that you've got two different kind of mainline denominations, either one that is like completely liberal, denying the supernatural inerrant aspects of the Bible, and then the other one is kind of um, just the spiritual aspects, no social aspects. So if you go on a mission trip, don't, don't feed them, don't um, build things, just give them the gospel, and then you're out of there. Okay? So you have the Southern Baptist Convention, the biggest... Protestant denomination in our country is now trying to figure out what to do about the social aspects. And they don't have the tools to figure this stuff out. So what are they doing? They're going to scripture? No. They're going to secular sources. They're bringing in these folks that have a, uh, don't have a biblical worldview. And what's happening is they are being torn completely apart. They're fragmenting. And it's a travesty. Whether you're a Baptist or not, it's a travesty. Okay? They don't have the tools. What they didn't, what they failed to understand is that the social aspects of the gospel have been there for 2,000 years. But they denied them. Okay? And so what they believe is getting back to that and, and addressing these problems, the Bible just doesn't have anything to say about it. Or doesn't have that much to say about it. So what they need to do is go outside of the Bible to bring in these other sources. That I'm not being uh, dramatic, but they're based on Marxism. Okay? And that's just stone-cold fact. All right? So sufficiency of Scripture is a big deal. It's really, really important. Okay? Uh, Who denies the sufficiency of Scripture? Sure. Yeah, because what, is it, what do you do? You, you can also find knowledge outside, outside of Scripture, right? Uh, the Roman church, because they had tradition. Uh, charismatics, um, believing that you know, prophecies are still coming. Um, uh, that, you know, essentially you have to add to God's word. Um, honestly, most evangelicals. Because most evangelicals, don't look at the Bible. Don't you know? We tend not to look at the Bible as an answer to every problem. We take, we tend to take um, religion, put it. And I think I said this last week in the sermon. We tend to take religion, put it up on a shelf, you know, as alongside alongside um, politics and economics and science and all these different things, right? Well, in reality, Scripture, the biblical worldview is just that. It's a worldview. It is the shelf. Everything else fits into it, okay? And that's why Scripture is so important. That's why it's um, sufficient. Uh, my training is in biblical counseling. Um, let's see my training. I used to have training in biblical counseling. I haven't, 
anything with it in like probably 15 years, but um, the first principle that we had in biblical counseling was that the Bible is sufficient. And when we counseled somebody, the first thing they had to understand was we're going to solve these problems. These problems are we're going to go to the Bible. And so it's the sufficiency of Scripture is, um, like I said, it's just it's the cornerstone of a lot of things, right? So let's go ahead and close in prayer. And if you have any other questions, just let me know afterwards, please. Right? Father, thank you once again for this time. Thank you for this great conversation. Uh, just help us to uh, go forward and glorify you um, in everything that we do. We love you. We trust you. Uh, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.